Yeah, that was fascinating to me as well, that when you start measuring the way people spend their time and how happy it's making them, what you find is that, at least with respect to screens, they're spending three times longer on the apps that are making them unhappy than on the apps that make them happy. And that's because these apps that make us unhappy, essentially, things like social network platforms, social media platforms, uh, to some extent games, to some extent looking at the news, uh, you know, scrolling down a Twitter feed endlessly and clicking on news links, those things essentially leave us feeling a little bit less fulfilled and more empty than, say, educational apps or even the weather. People say they feel happier using a weather-based app than they do using social media. Um, and the reason for that, I think, is that those apps that we're talking about, social media, uh, the news, these all have hooks embedded in them that make them very hard for us to resist. So we end up spending way more time than we intend on them. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining yours truly, Brian Caligiuri, on this week's episode of Cut the Crap Podcast, where every single week I'm reading a book, condensing it down to its core golden nuggets, bringing the author on the show, having a conversation about the golden nuggets. I'm here every single week just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. And if you're a fan of the show, then please rate and review the show, whatever platform you're listening on. Give me a rating, give me a review, and send it to podcast at ryancaligiuri.com and I'll make sure you get entered into a draw every single quarter for a prize and this quarter's prize I've decided I'm going to give away cold hard cash $1,000 goes to the person who I pick this quarter at random who provided a ranking and review so again all you got to do is get your ranking and review in take a screen capture of it send it to podcast at ryancaligiuri.com give me some pretty kick-ass prizes here uh, two quarters ago, gave away a brand new uh, MacBook Pro. Last quarter, we gave away an Amazon Echo. And this quarter, cold hard cash, baby. Nice and easy. So 1000 bucks goes to somebody. All you got to do is get your rating in. And uh, if you've already done it, you're already done. You're already entered in the draw. Also, don't forget to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. So many of you are already doing that, and I love it. LinkedIn, my LinkedIn's blowing up. And I, I got to thank all of you for connecting with me, sending me a quick message, letting me know uh, that you found me through the podcast. And again, it's just nice to put some faces to the people who are out there uh, listening to the show. So thank you so much. All right. This week, we are talking to Adam Alter about his book, Irresistible, The Rise of Addictive Technology and the Business of Keeping Us Hooked. It's a compelling topic, you guys. Very compelling topic. There's so many of us, well, not there's so many. Almost all of you right now are listening to me on a cell phone. I look at my stats every single month and I see that 97% of you listen to the podcast on your mobile device. And 3% of you listen, what was it, 2% listen on a tablet and 1% of you listen on a desktop. But it doesn't matter. It's not just the phone. It's your tablet. It's your laptop. It's technology in general. And now it's very addictive. And I'm not going to lie to you, when I first saw the title of the book, I thought it was BS. I was like, come on, this stuff really isn't addictive. I can quit my phone anytime. I use it out of necessity because I have to for business, for personal, but it's not addictive. But then when I read the book, and then I started to think a little bit more about it. And then when I talked to Adam about it, all of a sudden I realized, you know what, hold on a second. Yours truly, yeah, I'm addicted to my phone. I'm addicted to certain apps on my phone. As crazy as it sounds, there's apps on my phone where after this, after talking to Adam, I erased them from my phone because I realized just how much time I was wasting on them. 
so many games out there right now, like HQ. I don't know how many of you are playing HQ. Uh, Fortnite. You might not be playing either of those, but your kids might. And uh, those games are incredibly addicting. Incredibly addicting. Yeah, a whole bunch of other games on here. A lot of games that Zynga originally created. Um, things like Dragon Veil and uh, I don't know what the other games are. I'm not a big game gamer on, on the iPhone, but it's not even games. It's text messaging. It's social media. We're addicted to getting likes. We're addicted to seeing people share our content. We're addicted to text messages. They make us feel good. When we hear that ding or we see a like, we get a shot of dopamine in the brain. and It just makes us want to keep doing it. So this book was very interesting for me, especially from a marketer's perspective, where I know just how important these mediums are, email, social media, just technology in general, cell phones. I know how important they are, but I did not realize just how addictive they are. So in any case, a very interesting book. It gives us some insight into the power that technology has over us, and I wanted to bring this to light because I just found it incredibly interesting, and all of this starts with awareness. And at the end of this interview, you might realize, holy smokes, I spend a lot of time on apps that truly don't make me happy. And who knows, at the very end of this, you might save yourself a little bit of time by getting rid of some of those apps that you don't necessarily like having on your phone or playing, but you do realize it take up a whole bunch of your time. So in any case, let's crack right into this one. Enough jibber-jabber. This is Irresistible, The Rise of Addictive Technology and the Business of Keeping Us Hooked by Adam Alter. I will catch you back here at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Adam, how you doing, my friend? Very well, thanks, Ryan. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for making time for myself and everybody out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So for those people who don't know you yet or, or know what you do, give us a little introduction to uh, who you are and what you do. Sure. I'm a professor of marketing and psychology at New York University Stern School of Business. I have a PhD in social and cognitive psychology from Princeton and I write books about how we engage with technology and with the world more broadly. My most recent book called Irresistible was about why we spend so much time on our screens, why we can't stop using platforms like Facebook and email and Instagram, and uh, trying to sort of backward engineer which features are so hard for us to resist and uh, how we can perhaps use some of them to inspire us to eat better, exercise more, save more for our futures, things like that. I want to get you on the show because this is a very real problem. And the funny thing is a lot of us don't think it is a problem, right? I'm not addicted to my phone, Adam. Come on. I mean, I can stop anytime I want, says the person who's addicted most of the time. So when when I I read the book, I looked at it and very vulnerable. I looked at it and at the end of it, I said, oh, my God. I'm addicted to my phone. <laughs> I'm addicted to my technology. <laughs> I, have, I have a problem. I have two phones. I got tablets. I got laptops. And I'm always on my phone. And um, as we get into the episode, I'll maybe share some stories with you that are a little bit more uh, focused on the context here. But why don't we kick right into it? So golden nugget number one says that you really can be addicted to your smartphone or video games. And again, it just goes to that point where I think people don't think they can get addicted. So Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, how many of you are addicted to your phones? Would you say you're addicted to your phone or do you think you could stop at any point in time? Because I, like I said at the very beginning, I'm definitely one of those people. But there might be people out there listening right now, Adam, that don't think it's possible to get addicted to their phones. So what led you to this finding that will convince people that, yeah, they can actually get addicted to their phones? Well, I was skeptical as well. When you think of the term addiction, it's a very loaded word and it generally refers to substance abuse, substance addictions, things that you ingest into your body, drugs, alcohol, nicotine, things like that. And that's certainly the traditional definition. 
But the, the lines are quite blurry between those substance addictions and then more behavioral addictions, which are things like video game use or gambling even. So when you're gambling, you can sit at a slot machine for hours. Most people no longer dispute that you can get addicted to gambling. And a lot of what goes on on our screens on platforms like Facebook is very similar to what goes on when you sit in front of a slot machine. And so basically uh, the definition I use to, to describe behavioral addiction is an experience that you return to compulsively, something you do over and over again that feels good in the short term. It's something you want to be doing, but ultimately in the long run undermines your well-being, which describes smoking. It describes drinking too much. It describes drug taking, but it also describes a lot of the, the ways we interact with our technology, with our screens. We spend so much time on these screens, on average for adults, four hours a day, and actually more among young teenagers, that this has to encroach on our well-being in some respect. Uh, it means that we're spending less time exercising, less time in face-to-face -face interactions. Uh, and obviously a lot of us, when we introspect about it, we do feel, feel a little bit bad. And that's been my experience. When I interview a room of people, I ask them to tell me from, from one to 10 how big a problem this is, whether they'd like to make a change. And there are always a few people in the room who say, I'm at a one or a two. You know, I'm totally fine with my tech use, totally happy with the amount I use my screens but the vast majority fall above seven on that scale, wow. which suggests to me that, that this, is, this is a prevalent problem and that most people feel that their use is, is extreme, whether or not they want to use the term addiction. They recognize that for them it's a problem and they'd like to do something to change it. What are some of the side effects to people doing that? Again, so they're, they're not exercising as much. If you look at young children, for example, the craziest thing that I find is when you look at two-year-olds now and they're, they're using their tablets and they're using their, their iPhones, their parents' iPhones, uh, tablets, they're, they're going through their videos. A lot of times they're on YouTube watching different child's videos and it's, I love it how they're going and they're skipping the ads and they're, they're passing through notifications. Like they're understanding how this technology works at such a young age and the technology is becoming their, their parents' best babysitter now. Um, what, what are some of the the downsides, uh, some of the risks that are happening to kids, for example, at this point in time where, you know, as far as being addicted to technology, starting at a very young age. Yeah, I think there are two really big ones I'll focus on. The first one is just what, what screens are doing to social development. So the way young people learn how to interact in the social world is through face-to-face -face interactions. It's through trial and error. It's through rapid feedback. So you know, if you're a two-year-old and you take some other two-year-old's toy and, and you see the effect of that, the kid screws up his nose and his face, he looks sad, he starts crying, you as, as a normal human being feel bad about that. And that's true among two-year-olds just as it is among adults. We don't want to make other people unhappy most of the time. So as a result, you learn, I guess, taking that toy is a bad thing. If all of your time is spent behind a screen, the feedback you get is, first of all, delayed to some extent. You don't get true eye contact when you're sitting behind a screen, which is, I think, part of the reason why so many of us struggle with eye contact today in the way past generations didn't. Uh, you don't get the same fidelity of feedback, so you have fewer channels to work with. When you're staring at someone through a screen or interacting with screens in non-social ways, you aren't getting the nonverbal behavior, the posture, the postural changes in people as you say things a particular way. Now, kids are hoovering up this information, whatever information they can get. If they are sitting across from another person in real time, watching that person respond to them, they get huge reams of information that they then process. And over time, over the next five, six, seven years, they develop into socially capable beings. But if you deprive them of that critical period to learn and to, to use trial and error to get a sense of what works and what doesn't, 
potentially we are going to see a generation of kids who are raised on screens who look socially different from every other generation before that are in some ways socially stunted. And that's a concern. I mean, this generation is now only about 10 years old because that's how old the first mainstream smartphones are. But, you know, in 15 years, they'll be adults. They'll go through college. They'll start to become parents themselves. They'll be in the workplace. They'll be CEOs. They'll they'll be doctors, they'll be lawyers, and they may be in some sense different, and I think in some ways inferior to past generations, and that to me is a major concern. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing, is, is social stunting. Uh, the other thing that happens is, um, this is true of kids and also of adults, that you get used to the fastest thing you experience, and that becomes your equilibrium. Mm-hmm. What, what I mean by that is, I used to live in a small town, and now I live in New York City. When I first came to New York, I found it overwhelmingly quick. Everyone was walking really fast. Things happened really fast. People spoke very fast. But that became comfortable very fast. And now, wherever I go in the world, it feels a little slow in Mm. comparison. And I get bored more easily, I guess, than I used to. That's true for kids as well. And you were describing the way kids swipe through their screens and they skip ads and they they have this incredible ability to use uh, screens in a way that, that past generations didn't. But one thing that's done is it's introduced a way for them to access Uh, sort of invigorating experiences at any moment without having to really wait. They don't have to have to use patience at all. And uh, they don't have to tolerate boredom in the way kids in past generations did. As a result, I think it's really hard for them to engage with things that only bring slow rewards. Mm. It's hard for them to sit with a book if it's going to take time to learn how to read, if they're still struggling through that process, when they could just open the app and start watching videos on YouTube for the next Mm. three hours. And so I think it's changed the way they tolerate boredom, and I think that's also going to dampen creativity to some extent in kids, but also in adults, because creativity requires that you work through that, that boredom, that process of hitting a wall. And why do that when you don't have to, when you have a device that will allow you to just skip over that step? Wow, that is fascinating. And, and for the parents out there listening right now and Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, if you are raising your kid and they're using tablets, they're using phones on a regular basis – I mean, it, it could be a little bit scary. And the research, the, the insights you're sharing with us right now, Adam, it's, it's alarming. Would you go, I mean, it's funny. I saw you on a TED Talk, you know, a number of months ago where you referenced something very interesting that uh, Steve Jobs said in an interview. And Steve Jobs said that he doesn't allow his kids or he didn't allow his kids to grow up with the use of such technology like an iPad. So do you believe, in your opinion, that children need to be protected from the dangers of technology? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think it's part of educating them. It's part of raising them is to decide how much time they should be allowed to spend doing different things. One of the things they spend a huge amount of time doing, if you let them, is spending time in front of screens, swiping through screens. Uh, You know, the first time my son, he's now two, but when he was four months old, the first time he really smiled and seemed to be very happy and engaged with an experience was when he happened to lean across me. I was using my phone. He swiped the screen semi-accidentally and a new picture came up on the screen and he looked at me and he was beaming. You know, the the reward and being able to control the environment at such a young age is huge. And so I think people like Steve Jobs and other tech titans recognize the power that they have when they create these platforms that deliver such low-level rewards, low-level in the sense that they they apply to children just as much as they do to sophisticated adults. Hmm. And so I think... I think we do as parents need to be very careful because these are very powerful tools. You know, you wouldn't allow your kid to take a drug at a young age, but the brain responds very similarly to a drug as it does to the experience of exerting control over over the world or control over something like a screen. And so I do think parents need to be very mindful about how much time they allow their kids to spend. 
Hmm. Let's talk a little bit about golden nugget number two. And it's, this might be a brief one. I'm, I'm, we can go into it into some detail. Uh, but golden nugget number two says that by using technology on a more frequent basis, it actually starts to change our brain. It gives us neurological stimulations that make us susceptible to addiction. What do you mean by that? Well, a lot of the tech experiences we have are designed to to bring about unpredictable rewards, which is basically what happens when you sit in front of a slot machine. Mm. Uh, and so your your responses to things like Facebook, posting something and wondering how many likes you'll get, or Instagram or Twitter, how many retweets, how many shares, how many reposts or regrams, the extent to which people engage with your posts uh, is is a form of reward. The more they engage, the more reward you feel, the more social reward you experience. Mm-hmm. And the less they engage, the more negativity you feel. And it's unpredictable to, to the extent that we don't really know which posts will elicit lots of positive responses and which ones won't. And sometimes, in the worst case scenario, you post something, you throw it out into that online world and no one responds at all. You hit this wall of silence, which is an incredibly aversive experience. And um, these, uh, these unpredictable rewards are so powerful that they do drive us to engage over and over and over again with these, these different forms of content. Now, if you're not the kind of person who posts on these networks, that's fine too. You will still find that you get those kinds of rewards every time you check your email, wondering what will be there, what will be waiting for you. Every time you check a text, you hear the ding sound, you wonder whether there's, there's something really appealing there. Uh, you know, that these, these experiences are built into technology, especially technology that notifies us that it's time for us to check or to mm. look or to, to re-engage. And, and so really, even though these are just behaviors, they do act a lot like the kinds of financial rewards you get, for example, from gambling, which are very, very reinforcing. You have the same thing with tech. And I think especially when you, again, so this golden nuggets, it's very, very big. So let's talk a little bit about maybe what happens. So you go ahead, you make your post on, on Instagram, on Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, you're looking for some instant gratification. You want to see likes, you want to see people commenting, you want to see what marketers are calling engagement. You want to see that because it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like, hey, I'm important. People like my stuff. People are looking at it. It makes you feel great. You know, and then from that it makes you feel great. You get this shot of dopamine in your brain and it makes you feel good. Now it's just, oh, well, I feel great now. I got 100 likes on this picture. I want to do that again. And I want to do that again. I want to do that again. But then what happens if you don't get the likes and all of a sudden you get very, I don't know, you get very self-conscious. You maybe get a little upset. You wonder, oh, why didn't people like this photo as much as, as other photos did? And it's really funny, but I was on Facebook the other day and uh, somebody that I follow on Facebook, they posted something and it might have been the time of day they posted. Who knows? They post something that to them they thought was very insightful. It was very intriguing. It's something they thought that people would really comment on it. Nobody commented on it. There was one person who did and a couple people liked it. And at the end of the day, the person goes on Facebook and they said, wow, I'm really surprised I didn't get as much engagement out of this post as I thought. Kind of disappointing. And I'm like, wow, how crazy is that? That now we look for this instant gratification when we post things online. That, yes, that spells addiction to me where you start to get addicted to how you feel. Now, if she posted this this comment or this, this post and she got a lot of great engagement from it, she would love it. She'd feel great. It might have even made her day and it would encourage her to go back and do more of that in the future. So this whole unpredictability associated with social media, how it increases our chances of addiction, um, how do we deal with that? Because, I mean, the world we live in is social media driven, and I think it's a good thing because it makes the world a smaller place. It allows us to communicate more effectively. So there's some positive there, but there's also a negative there. 
how do we balance that in your opinion? Yeah, it's a good point. I think one of the important things is to recognize all the, bo- the benefits, all the positives that come from our engagement with tech. I think it's, it's silly to say that all of it is negative, that mm. uh, you know, the only effect of technology is negative. In fact, all of the many benefits of tech are the reason why we're even engaging with a question of why there might be some, some negatives as well. Uh, and so you're right. I think the, the idea that you can interact with hundreds of people, many of whom are not in the same city or the same part of the world that you're in, that's a huge thing that we couldn't do before. That's that's a major benefit. My kids, uh, I have two young kids. They can interact with their grandparents and their uncle in Australia, my brother and, and my parents. And that's something they could certainly not have done just as easily or to the same extent a number of years ago. So, yes, certainly many benefits. The question is, how do we get all those benefits without the many negatives, the many costs? Mm. I think the the best thing we can do really is just be a little bit more mindful about how we consume tech, particularly screen-based tech. Uh, Social networks are obviously a prime example. And what we need to do, I think, is just to say, ask yourself the question, do a little self-audit and ask yourself, how do I feel about my usage? Does it feel healthy? Does it feel okay? Is it encroaching on my ability to do good work or to spend quality time with my family and friends or to exercise? or to savor a good meal, things like that. Mm-hmm. If the answer is yes, you just need to put in place habits that allow you to escape tech for a certain part of the day or the week. Uh, and and it's, it's fairly easy to do. It's not a difficult thing to do. It's not something that requires major changes. It's just really about bringing about habits that, that allow you to say, for example, dinner time will be a tech-free time in my household. Mm-hmm. No one will have technology at the dinner table. And I've, I've worked with a lot of families who've done that now, and they report feeling much happier, much better in general across the other sort of 23 and a half hours of the day because they carve out that that's very special time that's tech-free. Some people then expand it and they say, you know, we should do this beyond dinner. Mm-hmm. We should do it for, say, the morning on Saturday, the afternoon on Sunday, or we should do it in the hour before bedtime, or whatever else it may be. Just bringing in those times when you'll be free of tech uh, makes, I think, the rest of the day much richer. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a question of balance. And I I think that's really the key word here. And it's also the best way to interact with kids over these topics or teenagers over these topics Mm -hmm. is to discuss the concept of balance. Just as you wouldn't eat junk food all the time, um, you can't always be sitting in front of a screen passively consuming content. Um, and so it's just a matter of working out what the right balance is for you. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I've taken a very similar approach with my cousins where last summer we were going out and they were always on their phone. They're Snapchatting like crazy. They had their snap streaks going and they were just always in their phone, not really engaging. So I was talking to them as I was driving them around. We were going to, to a festival and as I was talking to them, they were very, they were paying attention to me very little. So I said, guys, like, put your phones away. They're like, yeah, yeah, hold on a second. So we got out of the car when we got to the, the, the venue. I took their phones away. I said, guys, I'm like, I'm taking your phones away for the whole afternoon while we're here. No, Uncle Ryan, why are you doing that? Why are you taking those away? And I said, guys, like, enjoy going outside. And it's so funny because when I do that, I feel so old. I'm like, ah, oh, come on, guys. Yeah, en- right. Enjoy the sunshine. Enjoy the breeze. Enjoy talking to people. And it makes me feel old, but that's wrong. And I want people out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation to not feel bad about that, but approach it in a way that Adam says, again, it's about balance, right? I'm not saying phones are bad. I'm just saying approach it with a sense of balance. Take the phones away for a, mo- for a moment. You know, enjoy conversation. Enjoy using your eyes to see the colors of the trees or feel the wind or, or just having some awareness of what's going on around you and, and, and give yourself a break. So anyways, fast forward through my story, I take it away from them at the end of the, the, the event, maybe three or four hours later, give their phones back. And I said, see, you guys made it. And one of my cousins actually, she goes, 
you know what? Actually, it was kind of nice. I, uh, I, I had a really good time and I didn't need my phone. So you take the phone away from them and they all of a sudden realize, wait a <laughs> second. You. Yeah, I, I can go without this damn thing. But, you know, I didn't never had anybody actually take it away from me. So it's maybe not as bad as people think it is. If you take the phone away, they're going to realize, oh, yeah, there's a whole world out there and I don't need to be connected. And the funny thing about this, too, is and again, you've mentioned this as well, which to me was fascinating. But the apps that people use the most that makes them the happiest weren't the apps that I thought people use that made them the happiest apps such as um, games. So, for example, one game that's massive right now that people are playing on all different types of consoles is Fortnite. It's completely taken over. Um, kids across you know the world in school are probably playing that right now. Um, social media like Facebook. Well, a lot of kids, teenagers aren't on Facebook, but Snapchat, Instagram, um, all these different apps that I, people spend most of their time on. When you ask them at the very end, you know which apps make you the most happy? It's not those apps. Like, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that was fascinating to me as well, that when you start measuring the way people spend their time and how happy it's making them, what you find is that, at least with respect to screens, they're spending three times longer on the apps that are making them unhappy than on the apps that make them happy. And that's because these apps that make us unhappy, essentially, things like social network platforms, social media platforms, uh, to some extent games, to some extent looking at the news, you know, scrolling down a Twitter feed endlessly and clicking on news links, those things essentially leave us feeling a little bit less fulfilled and more empty than, say, educational apps or even the weather. People say they feel happier using a weather-based app than they do using social media. Um, and the reason for that, I think, is that those apps that we're talking about, social media, uh, the news, these all have hooks embedded in them that make them very hard for us to resist. So we end up spending way more time than we intend on them. Uh, and so with social media, for example, if you look at the Twitter feed or a Facebook feed or an Instagram feed, they are all designed to be bottomless. They're infinite. And so there's no queue that ever says to you, hey, it might be time to move on to something else. And so you get in this this sort of cycle of just looking at content over and over and over again. And it's very hard for you to internally signal to yourself it's time to move on. You look for those cues in the world outside of you. Now, usually you get those cues, and historically we have. We've had those cues from, from you know, hard copy media like uh, magazines and books and things like that that actually say to us, uh, you know, you've reached the end of a chapter or an article. That's a, a gentle suggestion that perhaps you want to do something different. Mm. These platforms, like casinos, have done everything to suggest that time isn't really passing, that the content just keeps flowing smoothly. And as a result, you just spend way longer than you'd like to. And so that leaves you feeling a little bit unfulfilled. Ah, that's very interesting. And when I first realized that, or when when I when I heard that, when I read that, I never stopped thinking about that. That fact that you know there's certain apps that people use, like weather apps, that make them happier, that they feel happier. And you go ahead and you say which apps they are, uh, what type of apps, and the apps that people use on a regular basis. That when asked afterwards, they don't feel happy. So things like games and social media. So whenever I pull up social media and games. I'm now associating in my mind to say these apps, after most people use them, they don't feel happy. So now that I'm thinking about that, it it almost wants me to stop using them because, of course, we all are trying to be as happy as possible. We want to be in in a positive state of mind. 
And so when I finish using those apps, I used to spend a lot of time on them, like Instagram, Facebook, as a marketer, I have to. But when I go through and mindlessly scroll, at the end of the day, when I look at it, I'm like, my God, I just spent an hour sitting here flipping through a Facebook feed or an Instagram feed. Do I feel good about that? No. Why? Because what did I accomplish today? Did I make progress on anything? Did I do anything that was really worth my time? And the answer to that is, of course, no. Like, I read a few posts. Did I learn anything in particular that stimulated my mind? No. So do you really feel good about it? Not really. So again, for the parents out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation, for people out there who are addicted to their phones, who might say they're not addicted to their phones, which probably are, you know, think about that. Put that in frame of reference to say, maybe I'm not going to be as happy as, as I possibly can if I spend as much time as I do right now on apps like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and different games like Fortnite where I end up playing it for two hours on end. You know, maybe think twice about that. So now we go to the next golden nugget, and you talked a little bit about this earlier, but now we're talking to the business professionals out there, the folks who are always using email, and golden nugget number three says that email can be addictive, it can be unhealthy, and it can hurt productivity, and we all need to disable our notifications immediately. So for myself, I check email all the time, and I I pride myself in being very quick to respond, but you're saying that's a bad thing and that I need to disable my notifications. Why is that? I think it's a bad thing because email takes you out of whatever task you're doing before the email arrived and means that it's very hard for you to get immediately back into that task. So there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it takes us a bit of time to get deeply involved and invested in a task. Um, There's a sort of startup cost every time you begin something afresh. So the the beginning of the day when you sit down at your desk, let's say there's something you've been wanting to do, it'll take you about an hour. Every time you stop and check email, it takes you a number of minutes to get back into that task. There are different studies that suggest different numbers. Some studies suggest that it takes up to 25 minutes for you to get back into the task in the way you were before you stopped to check your email. Now, one of the issues with email is that we we tend to check it very fast after we know an email has arrived because we don't like the idea that there's an email sitting there and that it's going unread, unattended to. And so one of the statistics is that um, the vast majority of emails in the workplace are checked within six seconds of arriving Mm -hmm. in your inbox. And so what that means is over time, if you look at the whole day, you are constantly returning over and over again to your email inbox and never actually getting into that zone of maximum productivity where you're really doing good work that requires you to engage for a consistent extended period of time. And that's obviously a major problem for productivity and suggests that we should be doing a lot more of batching uh, wherever possible, where you, you basically withhold emails and you know, for example, that within my company uh, at 9 a.m., at 12 noon, and at 3 p.m., there will be three batches of emails that will arrive at that moment. Now, that doesn't work for every profession. In some, some fields, you need email the second it arrives. But for many of us, we could get by if we only checked our email every three hours. And by doing that, in that gap between those two batches of emails, we would be doing much better, deeper, hard work than we're doing now. That's a great tip. That's a great tip, a great takeaway. And you might not be able to batch it, but just shut your shut your Outlook off. Shut your Gmail off. You Even know? better. Yeah. yeah, that works too. Yeah, just turn your phone around. And for my sales professionals out there, for people who are prospecting, 
That is one of the worst things that people do. They're sitting there prospecting. They're making their phone calls. All of a sudden, email comes through, and it takes away. They, they break their, their flow state, and they, they delete the email. They quickly read it. They respond, and they go back. And it just creates so much inefficiency. And the one thing that we've done, especially in prospecting, is you know put your time, put your blocks on your golden hours. You know, set aside sixty minutes, cut off all distractions, turn away all your phones, shut off all your notifications. Don't distract yourself because prospecting is tough. Sales is hard. So if you're going to be picking up the phone, you don't want anything distracting you. But that doesn't just go for sales. That goes for absolutely anything, like you said, because it takes you on average twenty five minutes just to get into a state of productivity. And I think all of you in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation right now can identify with that. It's very difficult when you sit down at your desk. You don't just go from zero to 100 and all of a sudden you're in flow state productive. I don't know. Maybe some of you are like that, but I'm definitely not like that. So to have things constantly interrupt us, and honestly, most of the time it's spam email that gets sent to my, my, my inbox and my Outlook and I get the notification pops up and I say, well, what is this spam? I quickly open it up and I delete it within five seconds, but I've already inter- interrupted myself. I've already interrupted my flow state. So that by itself was a great takeaway and something that I've already implemented for myself is just shutting off my, my, my notifications and I encourage a lot of you out there in Cut the Crap Podcast Nation to do the exact same as well if you want to start increasing your productivity. So now the next golden nugget, golden nugget number four, it says that we humans are addicted to making things difficult for ourselves. Now I laughed at this one because I really had a tough time understanding this at first because people, I guess, like are you saying that we would much rather seek out some kind of hardship or challenge to overcome as opposed to relaxing? Because to me, I look at us trying to get over um, something difficult. We're trying to take on a big problem. Isn't that a good thing? It's progress. It's building. It's growing. It's learning. But you're saying it's more of a negative thing. Help us understand the the difference there, the nuance. Yeah, it is nuanced. So the basic idea is that humans, generally speaking, prefer things to be as easy, as straightforward as possible. They like not having to think hard. They like things to arrive easily without requiring much engagement. And that's why something like a smartphone is so appealing, because you can sit for hours at a time and the content will be delivered to you. It'll visit itself upon you and doesn't require much from you. That's why kids love these platforms so much. So that's our general state. The thing is, if that is your whole life, it's a very empty life. It's one of the reasons why people, I think, report that playing games for hours on end or Mm. scrolling through social media for an hour makes them unhappy. I think what they're basically saying is that that is empty. It's like empty calories. Hmm. And so what a lot of us do is we cultivate a sort of difficulty or hardship and we we require those hardships to give our lives a little bit of meaning they also make us more resilient when we have future hardships that we can't control so you know you can think of it a little bit like a vaccination so a vaccination is designed to prepare you for the greater threat of a major say illness and so you get a small dose now your body deals with it and handles it and then when it gets the bigger dose later on it's able to combat that dose And so it's become prepared. It's become inured to that threat. And that's basically what we do a lot with our hardships is we have small doses of hardship that prepare us to generally deal with hardship, with stress, with discomfort. Uh, There's evidence, for example, that athletes who train very hard for part of the year are much more resilient to pain during that part of the year than during the part of the year where they don't train. And that's because they've become inured to pain generally. So we can basically become more hardened against pain we can become stronger in general by exposing ourselves to difficulty. And that ultimately does make us either happier or at least delivers meaning to our lives. It makes us feel that we're leading fuller, more engaged lives. 
Yeah, maybe talk to us a little bit about being a workaholic because sometimes we just love problem solving, right? We love being in the office. We love solving problems. We love addressing these challenges, growing the business, which is not always easy. Um, and we get addicted to doing that that hard work. And we do so much of it that we become workaholics in a sense. Talk to us about some of the dangers of that. Yeah, there's a state that uh, a lot of people discuss. It's uh, known as the flow state. This is proposed by a a psychologist from Hungary named uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, and he basically suggested suggested that when a a task you were undertaking was just sort of perfectly positioned between too difficult and too easy, it was right at the sweet spot, just slightly difficult, slightly challenging, but not overwhelmingly so, you could become deeply engaged in that and enter what he described as a flow state. And this is where time sort of melts away. You're really engaged in what you're doing. You, you feel that there's a richness to it, that it's purposeful, that it's meaningful, and that it's, it's exactly what you should be doing in that moment. A lot of us, and this is a good thing as well, feel that at various points when we're working. And it can mean that we end up spending huge amounts of time working without realizing the time is melting away, that it's passing without our recognizing it. So, you know, for me, I do a certain amount of data analysis. And when I'm deep into the, the data analysis process, there's a kind of... Uh, mechanical machine-like element to that that I know exactly which buttons to push which code to enter what I'm looking at what sort of output to focus on I have lost at times 8 10 12 hours without even realizing I haven't got up to eat to to walk around and I think a lot of people get in that state so this is you know it's there is some challenge to what we're doing there is some difficulty there that we cultivate that we we seek out but uh, it, it can end up being harmful. It feels like it's a good thing at the time, but it ends up sucking a huge amounts of time. And, it, and that can be obviously problematic when it encroaches on other aspects of our lives. Yeah, I think, again, with this case here, you know, we're talking about young children, you know, adolescents, teenagers, and their phones. It's about balance, right? With email, instead of checking it at all points in the day, instead of working those 10 to 12 hours, nonstop, not eating, not working out, Again, we're not saying do that all the time either. It's about balance. It's finding that comfortable balance. And that's what life is about. And that's really what I, I really took away from a lot of this book in that, you know, to to be aware, number one, that there are a lot of addictive things out there. And it doesn't mean that, you know, we're weak. It just means that, you know, we're susceptible to a lot of these stimulants that are out there. And sometimes we can get lost. We can get on autopilot. And when we get on autopilot, sometimes we just don't think about it. We just do things subconsciously. We're not conscious of it. But all of a sudden, when you start to become conscious of it and you start to notice it, um, it can be a game changer for you. So as we talk about these things that are addicting to us, uh, we we talk about uh, phones, screens, tablets, email, all these different stimulants. We wrap this up now with golden nugget number five, which says that, you know, we, we should really not repress things, but instead we should try to substitute them. So again, this is just all about quitting things cold turkey. Quitting things cold turkey is very hard. It's very hard. So instead of repressing our addictions, like our addiction to email, our addiction to our telephones, our tablets, you suggest that we find substitutions. Help us understand that better. Yeah. uh, So, you know, there are two parts to this. The first part is to understand why it is that you're addicted to a particular experience. What is it bringing to you? And all addiction is basically a way of papering over some psychological need that hasn't been met, some psychological either strain or difficulty or discomfort. It could be that you're bored or you're anxious or you're lonely or you're depressed or whatever it may be. Mm. 
that addiction is a way of papering that over, of putting a Band-Aid over it. And so if you can treat the underlying issue, if you can treat the boredom or the anxiety or whatever it may be, you'll find that you're much less likely to form that addiction. Uh, and that's, that's true of, uh, of many of our, I think, screen addictions, which are really driven to, to deal with the fact that we spend a lot of our lives a little bit bored, and that's because our threshold for boredom is so incredibly low. In this world where you can be visited by experiences that are engaging all the time, you, you don't have to tolerate boredom, and so we don't learn to do it, and that's especially true for kids. So if we could find a way to deal with our boredom using some other approach, we might be less likely to pull out our phones every time we're in an elevator for three seconds. Uh, so part of it is working out what is the underlying driver of that particular addictive behavior. And the, uh, you know, the second part of it is to, to work out, um, it's much harder to say don't do this thing than it is to say do this other thing instead. Uh, and this is true of kids as well. You know, I've, I have these, these young kids, uh, two young kids, and uh, I've, I've noticed that it's much easier instead of saying stop doing this to say do this instead. Mm. Uh, and a kid will then engage with that new thing. Now, that, the psychology there applies to adults as well. Um, that saying, for example, do not use your phone is much less effective than saying instead of using your phone, do this. And this can be lots and lots of different things that bring some form of reward but are ultimately less addictive. Um, it could be grabbing a bite to eat. It could be going for a short walk. It could be talking to a friend. It really doesn't matter what it is, but you should basically substitute the one for the other. And it's much more effective than just going cold turkey and saying, I'm not going to do this particular thing, whatever it may be. Uh, and so the, those two parts, I think, are really critical. Working out the real reason, the psychological heart of why you're doing something. And then instead of saying, don't do it, finding something else that you can do instead that to some extent meets the same basic need. Mm. Irresistible, the rise of addictive technology and the business of keeping us hooked. Adam, it was a real pleasure having you on the show. Again, this is such a timely topic. It's a problem that we're facing today and it's not getting any better. It's not getting any better with the rise of email, the rise of social networks, the prevalence of cell phones, the prevalence of screens that are in our lives, how easy it is to access them. This is such a great topic that I think everybody, not just business professionals, but parents, need to keep in mind, need to read, need to listen to, and really need to, to, to become conscious about and, and put measures in place to really drive that balance that we've been talking about this episode. So again, thank you so much for coming on the show, Adam. If, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or, or follow you online, how can they go about doing that? Uh, they can find me on uh, Twitter at Adam Lee Alter. They can find my webpage, uh, adamleealter.com. Uh, and they can find me on Facebook as well. So lots of ways to get, get hold of me. And, and thanks so much for having me on the show, Ryan. I appreciate it. All right, there we have it. That is Irresistible, the rise of addictive technology and the business of keeping us hooked. Great interview. Adam Alter, great speaker as well. And what a fascinating topic. Truly is fascinating. When you think about it, how, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't even have iPads or we didn't even have iPhones or Android devices. You know, we just didn't have this kind of technology. And so for those of you out there who have kids and your kids are using this stuff more frequently in school and they're using it at home, your kids are never getting a break from the screen. You're never getting a break from the screen. What am I talking about, let alone your kids? You wake up, you look at your phone, you go to work, you're on a tablet or a laptop, you're looking at your phone, you get home, you're looking at your phone, you're watching TV, you're on your laptop. We are always looking at our screens. And the biggest thing for me, one of the reasons why I wanted to get this, this book on here and get Adam on here was just to raise awareness. Awareness that, hey, you know what? Put measures in place to put the screens away for a little bit. 
put the screens away for a little bit because as funny as it sounds, you might not think you have a problem. You might not think you're addicted. But if you truly did some you know, self-reflection, you might realize that, yeah, in fact, you are addicted. Like I said at the very top of the podcast, yours truly. I know that I'm addicted to my phone. So I've already put in measures in place to make sure that I can start to wean myself off of feeling like I always have to pick up my phone or having the feeling that, oh, I got to play this game or I got to do this or I got to do that at this point in time when I really shouldn't. But in any case, if you enjoyed the episode, my friends, then please go online, rate and review the show. And uh, when you do, just make sure you send it to podcast at ryancalajury.com. Just take a screen capture of it, send it to that email. It'll make sure you get entered to the draw every quarter for a prize. And of course, this quarter's prize, cold, hard cash, baby. $1,000. Nice and easy. Don't forget to also connect with me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's always good connecting with all of you out there. So please go online and connect with me and uh, it'll put a smile on my face. So hey, go ahead and do that. All right, everybody, that is a wrap for this week. So thank you once again for tuning in. It always means a lot when you take the time that you have and you give it to me. And I hope that I'm providing value to you every single week. And I know I I am. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here and the podcast wouldn't be growing the way it is. So again, thank you so much for tuning in. I will be back here next week when I have a brand new book, brand new Golden Nuggets, an interview with an author. And of course, you know what I'm doing here every single week. Just trying to save you a little bit of time and bring you some information that can spark real change in your life. Have yourselves a fantastic, productive week. I love you guys. I hear that I'm over 40, I'm pushing 50, whatever. Bring it. Back off, negative, not happening. In fact, I'm stepping it up. I'm training harder, eating cleaner. I'm training more. I'm learning and reading and studying more now than I ever have in my whole life. Do I get dinged up? Of course I do. You know what? No factor. No factor. Deal with them. You you know what? You know what I hear? I hear the clock ticking. That's what I hear. And the end is nigh. And time waits for no man. And you young guns out there, 18 years old, 20 years old, 24 years old, listen. Life goes by, and it goes by quick. Don't waste those years. Don't waste them. Live them. I know that you don't think you're going to live to be 30, much less 40, but you are and you will. And the earlier you get in the game, the better life you're going to have. Wealthier, stronger, smarter, better. Better. And if you're an old man like me and you haven't gotten on track yet, get on track. Get on it now. Here's the deal no complacency. No complacency. No 
backing off. No slack whatsoever. Fight. Fight that ticking clock with everything you got. So, at the end of a hard day, put your head down with ease. Satisfied.